Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church of Savannah, Georgia. You're listening to the series, Bless the Lord, a study on the book of Psalms. For more information about CBC, please visit www.cbcofsavannah.org. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from God's Word. Let you guys pray with me this morning as we spend time in God's Word. Father in heaven, I thank you for what you did through these high school leaders and uh, in the lives of these high schoolers this week. I pray that there will be lasting fruit as they are the future leaders, uh, maybe of this church and others. Lord, it's a tough time to be a teenager. It's hard. And so uh, give them strength and truth in each other to encourage one another uh, to walk with you. I, I pray for us as we enter, enter a time where we read your word and hear your word. Lord, we look around and there is just a chaotic world around us with wars and rumors of wars and uh, just wickedness and, and brokenness, and we wonder why sometimes. And the only hope in this world, Lord, we know is you. We know that you're the only one who brings lasting peace, and you're the only one who can save from sin and, and eternal death. And so I just pray as a church and all the churches that are preaching Christ and him crucified and resurrected, that, that you would be exalted in those places and that the church would rise up and be the hope and the light so that people would find you. Uh, that we would be just vessels of mercy, showing people and pointing people towards you. Uh, as we look at this next psalm, oh Lord, I ask again, just like in the first service, that you would fill me. I have no ability in myself, none whatsoever, to do anything uh, worth good apart from you. And so I ask that your spirit fill me so that your church, Lord Jesus, it's yours, will be encouraged and that your name would be lifted high in this place and in the world. It's for your sake I pray these things. Amen. All right. It's good to be back for a little bit anyway. Um, glad uh, to be, I haven't done this in a while, so I don't know if I remember what I'm supposed to do. I think I'm supposed to talk for a little bit. But um, most of us, I think, have a point in our lives, some kind of an event, a time where we think back and then we reflect on it and we're like, man, that was good. That was just a good time. Right? Something that's so good that you're still talking about it. Not your high school football team, which is not as good as you say it was. And you who are not as good as you say you were. But maybe it's that trip that you took with your family or that season of life. Or maybe it was just a great meal. that You just, oh man, you got to go to this place. Or maybe it was that, that date, that first date, second date, third, whatever. And you just keep talking about it, right? And it's good. It's just good. You're talking about it still. We just went on vacation a few weeks ago, and I love my wife every day. At the end of every day, she'd ask the kids, what's your favorite part about today? What was your favorite part? And one kid will say, oh, I like tubing. And the other one's like, I like the movie, and I like the, whatever it is. And it's always different. It's always great to hear. What, what was good? We've been in this series on the Psalms for the summer. We've called it Bless the Lord. And the desire of us as a church is to, to cultivate worship so that we look at God and say, he is good, and, it, and that we just see his goodness all around us despite what's going on. And the psalm we're going to look at today is attributed to David. And in essence, what he's doing is what we just talked about. He is looking back on something and he's saying, mm, that's good. He's still talking about it. That is good. 
right? That was a great time. I, I want that to be always. I want to keep talking about that. And this psalm that we're going to look at, it became what, what is known as one of the ascent psalms. We did one of these earlier, but if you're unfamiliar with what those are, these, these pilgrims, these Jewish Israelites would have to go to Jerusalem three times a year for three festivals. And, and they would, as they ascended the hill, because Jerusalem was at about 2,500 feet, Altitude, so they have to go up to Jerusalem. As they went up the hill, they would sing, and they were pumped. They were excited. They were like, you know, riding in caravans and hitchhiking and picking people up, and it'd be great. And they would just join together and they would sing the ascent psalms. And the psalm we're going to look at today is a song that they would sing, and it's about what they're going to experience when they get there. So it's super fitting. David is reflecting on something that's, that's taking place when they're all in Jerusalem gathered to worship. And he's reflecting on that. And they're singing about what they get to have when they get there. Right? And it's good. And that same good thing that David is saying, man, this is good, is the same good thing that God is wanting for his church, for CBC, for your marriage, for your, your apartment, for your community group today. And it's a foretaste it's just a little piece of heaven here on earth. You know what a foretaste is? It's when you go to the ice cream shop and they give you that little spoon. And like, as much as you want here, just get, and you're like, mm, I want that, man. I want that one right there. And then you get the big waffle cone. And that's like, mm, that was a foretaste of the goodness. That's what this is. It's just a little foretaste of what's to come. And we can have it today. So what is it? And how can we have it? We're gonna look at it in Psalm 133. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, Take the one in front of you, turn right to the middle, boom, and you'll go to Psalms, and then find 133. If you do have a Bible, then find it on your own. I got it, all right? But it's still right in the middle. <laughs> Let me read this short and sweet psalm, and hopefully it'll be a short and sweet sermon because I'm not, I don't have a lot of time today, um, and then we'll kind of unpack it. Psalm 133. And again, it's in a song of ascents, and it's of David. There's our background, and I already kind of unpacked that a little bit for you. Here's what he says. Behold, how good and how pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron. Running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. So what is it that he's so fond of, that he's remembering, that he's, that he's thinking about? He tells us right up front. He, he, he hints at it right in the beginning, and he does something that's the only psalm in all, all the, the Old Testament that actually starts with the word behold. I did a little search, did a little studying this week. It's this Hebrew word hene. It means to look. Usually you put it in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a verse because it's supposed to draw your attention to something. He wants to draw your attention right up front. He wants to kind of give you this shock value. He wants you to be awake like that. See, well, look at that. All right, see, now you're awake. But that's the idea. He's like, behold, right up front. See, now you're not sleeping in my sermons. You can sleep in everybody else's, but not mine. But that's the idea of it. Behold, look, how good and how pleasant is it when brothers dwell, what? In unity, in oneness, in, in harmony. So the message says, when brothers get along. Now remember the background of the Ascent Psalms. They're going up to Jerusalem. All right, they're going to do what? To worship. 
There's not sightseeing going on. This is not a week away. Wanted to get away, go to Jerusalem. They are going for one purpose, for one event, to worship. And there's no, oh, look, her camel cut me off. I'm going to go get in front of her now. There's no, oh, did you see that robe that he was wearing? I want to go get that. Where do I get that robe? There's none of that going on. They are there for one reason and one reason only, worship. Right? There's unity. And David is reflecting on that and says, man, isn't that good? Isn't it pleasant? Now, the problem with us, we hear good and pleasant. Those are such generic words, aren't they? How was your meal? It was good. How's work going? It's good. How's your vacation? Good. How's your parents doing? They're good. How's school? You like school? Good. I mean, we just, that's, that's kind of a common word, right? And now what we do? Good, good. How's the sermon? Bad. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> but th- that's where we're at. But that's not how the scripture uses the word. And I think to get the, the idea of what he's saying here, you got to go back and look at the first time these words good are used, and even behold, and where you got to go is all the way back to Genesis 1. And what you see is, is God is creating, and six days he creates, and every day at the end of the day, he says, man, it was good. It's good. And then at the end, he says what? In chapter, chapter 1, verse 31, the kind of culmination of creation. And God saw everything he had made. And what is the word? Behold, look, air horn. It was very Good. The glory of the stars and the expanse of the heavens and the oceans and the land and the perfection of every animal who has its pair and every tree and every fruit and just the clouds, the beauty of creation and then man and his, and his wife. It is just perfect. It is good. It is the way it is supposed to be. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. The relationships are perfect with God and with man. It's good. That was the intent. And why? Because this is rooted in God. It's all rooted in God. Who is, we are made in his image, and he is one. One God, three distinct persons in perfect oneness. And as a reflection of him, this is the way it's supposed to be. So when David's saying, it is good, he's saying, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's a foretaste of what is to come. And it was the original intent, unity, oneness. It's the very thing Jesus prays for us on his high priestly prayer when he says, I do not ask for these only, i.e. the 11 that are there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that is you and me, that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, when we are one, when we are in harmony, when we are unified, it doesn't say anything about us. It says something about God. And now what Jesus says, why do I want them to be one? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we are one, we proclaim that God has sent the Son. And when we are disunified, we proclaim we don't know anything about God because God is one. And so we, it's about God. It's about reflecting him. And so David says, man, isn't it good when everyone is on the same page, when everyone is one? And then he gets a little, see, this is where some of you men stay away from poetry. You're like, that's why I don't get the Psalms. I don't understand what the heck he's saying. And I don't know, this beard and running down oily guy. It sounds like a WWF thing. What's going on here? All right. Okay. And, and he's using language of the day that everyone there understands, but we're kind of like, I don't get that. So let me stay away from there. Right? I mean, if, if you ask one of my kids about vacation, hey, Samuel, my oldest, Samuel, how was your vacation? He said, oh, it's good. Because that's what he would say. He said, it's good. And he said, how good is it, Samuel? And if he said something like, man, it was so good. It was like the precious oil on the head running down of, on the beard, and the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. You'd be like, 
All right, I'm going to go Susu. Susu, how was the vacation? And she would say, it's like the dew of Hermon, uh, which falls on the Mount of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. He'd be like, you fowlers take weird vacations. Okay, I don't know, right? But he's using a 3,000-year-old illustration for 3,000 old people, and when they hear it, they get it. So kind of let me unpack it real quickly for us. Verse 2, he's using a simile. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. What's he talking about there? Okay, who is Aaron? Let's think about that. Aaron is the brother of Moses. He was the first high priest of Israel. And the high priest had a very distinct role. He wore a distinct uniform. And he had a distinct function. Okay? And he was marked by that outfit. And here's kind of a, a model of what it looked like. All right? Here's the, the high priest. This will be what Aaron and all his descendants, only Aaron's descendants, not just a Levite, but only Aaron's descendants could be the high priest. And they wore this, this ephod, which was like kind of an apron, and they had this breastplate. You can see it on in there. That breastplate had 12 stones. Each, 12, each stone had one of the tribes of Israel on it. The idea was that he carries the nation of Israel over his heart as he goes into the Holy of Holies and makes atonement. On his shoulders, you can see two, two little shoulder pads there. There's actually, there's stones, and on each one had six names, six of the tribes of Israel on each. He's carrying the nation on his shoulders. He's carrying the nation on his heart as he goes into the presence of God to make atonement for sin. It was a special role. And back here in our, in our passage, he's saying when the oil is running down, he's talking about a very specific event in Aaron's life and any high priest's life, the day that they would be consecrated or set apart to be the high priest. For Aaron, it took place in Leviticus 8 and 9. They just build the tabernacle. They're just finishing it up. And God sets apart Aaron as the high priest. And what do they do? They bust out this oil, which would have a sweet aroma. And they would pour it on his head. And it would drip down his head and in his beard. And it would drip on his shoulders and down the robe. And it would cover the breastplate. It would cover the shoulders. And the idea is, just as he is set apart, the nation is set apart. And they are one under, under him, under God. It was very symbolic. And at the end of the ceremony, Aaron then offers a sacrifice and fire falls from heaven. Boom! And it consumes it and the glory of God rests in the tabernacle and everyone shouts and sings and worships and praises. It's a time of joy. It's a time of of a sweet aroma. It's a time of worship and intimacy and glory and power and rejoicing. And David says, when there is unity, it's like that. Remember that day? That was awesome. It's like that. And you're like, I still don't get oily bearded, bearded guy. All right, he continues then. He says, okay, verse three. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. All right, and again, this, you have to know a little bit of Israelite geography here to understand what's going on. All right, here's kind of a map of Israel at the time. Here's Jerusalem right here, okay? It's, it's in the hills, but it's not that high. It's 2,500 feet above sea level, and it's a dry climate. Mount Hermon is way up here in the north, and it is known for its refreshing coolness because it's at about 9,500 feet, all right, snow-capped, known for its dew, okay, it's about 120 miles north of Jerusalem, and, and the image is really not that far from what we would think about, okay, dew is a sign of blessing, of divine abundance in their day, when there was dew, God was blessing, when there was dry, he was not, and he's like, he's like it's that dew that's always at Herman, it's like it's here with us, that coolness, that refreshness. Some of you, what, what do people do in this culture, even now, to get away from the, the busyness 
and the heat of the city. I went to Philly a couple of months ago. I was like, I was feeling at home. I got honked at five times on the way from the airport to the house. I was like, this is home. This is it. Right? Okay, I'm at home, right? But they're honking at me and they're mean and they're like just grumpy. What do people do? They come south. They go to Hilton Head where all the Ohioans go, okay? They get out of the hustle and bustle and they go to where it's calm and quiet and they can walk in the sand in the morning or some of you or you have that, that family cabin up in the mountains or you go camping and there's just something about waking up early and walking out with a cup of coffee and you're walking in your sandals and it's wet on your feet, it's breathing the air and you're like, mm, this is good. Right? This is good. I'm away from that, and I'm away from the internet, and I'm away from angry people honking at me in the, in the office, and I get no cell service. And there's something invigorating and refreshing about that. Going to Tybee and just walking the beach in the morning and just, mm. an evening thunderstorm sitting on the back porch, and you're just like, mm. you just almost want to bottle it and take it back to your car when everyone's honking at you and just open up. Mm. Refreshing. <laughs> right? But that, that's the idea. Mount Hermon is this cool, refreshing place. And what he's saying is unity, oneness, harmony, it's like that, that invigorating, refreshing mm, place. Because the flip side is this, and we all know it because we've been there. When there is disunity, when there's disunity in a church, who wants to come to worship? Nobody. When there's conflict and disunity in the home, you'll stay a few minutes later at the office. You'll stay a little later at the food lion because, because you just don't want to go home to the conflict. When there's conflict at the office, I'll just work from home today. I'll stay in late when it's quiet because there's just, you don't want to be there. This is draining and stressful. And you're, oh. But he says the, the opposite is true when there's oneness. It's, ah, it's like walking on the beach at Tybee with a cup of coffee. Mm, it's good stuff. And, and that's the image. That's what he's saying. Right? And so here's the $10,000 question we got to ask. If it's so good and it's so refreshing and it's the, play, the way it's supposed to be, then why is it so stinking difficult? And why is there so much disunity in the church? I mean, when people think of church, they don't exactly think of unity. I mean, churches, let me just tell you, I'm friends with a lot of pastors. Churches are the most territorial thing you've ever seen. You think it's Home Depot and Lowe's. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? Why is that? It's, it's as if we're looking often for things have not to be unified as opposed to what does unify us. So, so why, right? Because it's a huge challenge in churches, in our marriages, in the back of the minivan, in the dorm, in our community groups. And I think we could spend weeks and weeks talking about different reasons and hammering them out. The reality is this. Ever since Genesis 3, the enemy of our souls, Satan the devil, has been trying to divide everything that God creates as good. Marriages, families, churches, everything good. And so it's one of his primary tactics. We'll see it when we get to the book of Acts in the fall. He ha it does every time God's people come together, he comes to divide. It's, it's one of his biggest, besides discouragement, I'd say it's his number two tactic, and it's very effective. So understanding, first of all, division is from the enemy. It's huge. But there's all sorts of reasons. Churches, for instance, will divide over preferential issues. I like drums. I don't like drums. I like the piano. I like the organ. I like the guitars. And we split. Right? Don't like that. Or I think we should have VBS. I don't think. I think we should do this. I, think, I don't like the coffee. I don't, whatever. People divide. They do it all the time. Preferences. 
right? Theological differences, those minor areas, not orthodoxy, not deity of Christ, not salvation by grace through faith, not inspiration of scripture, not any of those, but minor issues. I'm a five point, six point, 12 point, this point, I'll bell, pre-mill, blah, 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 blah. You say tomato, I say tomato, and, and I'll divide. I don't like you, you don't like me. You immerse, we sprinkle, blah, right? And so we'll divide over that. Sometimes it's just the reality of James, we just looked at, what is the source of quarrels in, among you? It's you. Because you're Mr. Critic, and you got to say, open your mouth every time. Oh, I think we should. Blah, blah. Or you're Mr. Steamroller, and you're busting over everybody when you come into the group. And goes, ah, and they're smacked on the ground, all like this. Or you're Mr. Sponge, and every time you come into the community group, I'll get, blah, 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 and, blah, 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 and everyone's like, blah, blah. just tell them community group's Wednesday, and we'll show up Monday. Okay? <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the, or you're one of those, or you're the Mr. Wet Blanket, everything's always falling. The world's falling apart. Milk's $4.12 a gallon. <laughs> I mean, you're that guy. Whatever it is, and all of us are one of those at some point, okay, it, it, it can cause a wedge. So what ultimately is the solution for us as a church? What is it? I think the text, although not, you know, didn't give a command in verse four, I think it hints at it. And I think it reminds us of what it is. Because I think if we're honest, every one of us wants that refreshing that cup of coffee walking on the on Tybee. We, we want that in our, in our church, and we want it in our community group, and we want it in our homes, and we want it with our kids. We want it. Everybody wants it. But the problem is this. It is not something, church, that you can manufacture on your own. It is not something you can manipulate, that you can contrive, because every time people try to contrive or make unity, you know what happens? Not unity, uniformity. Which feels like unity, because everyone looks the same, does the same thing, and talks the same. And so it feels like we're unified. And you know how ununified you really are when someone different comes into the group. And you're like, we don't like them. They do this time of school. They do this. They are this. They don't like, they're not like us. We're unified. They're not. And so this is where racism, classism, elitism, all the isms creep in when we try to do it based on externals. Well, let's, let's be unified around this one common thing that keeps us all. We're Americans or we're this or we're that. And that is not true unity. True unity comes from one place and one place alone. It only comes from above. And it's hinted at in the text. It doesn't come across in the English real well, but in the Hebrew text, there's this word play. Three times it uses the same Hebrew word that means to descend, to come down from above. And it's in verse two where it says it's like the precious oil that comes down, it runs down. And again, it says it runs down, it repeats itself. And then even verse three, even though the ESV says falls, it's the same Hebrew word which comes down. The idea is it's coming down from where? From above. It's descending from above. Sounds a lot like something we read in James, that every good and perfect thing comes where? From above from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. See, unity is a gift. It, it comes from above. And for us, and here's the beauty of Scripture. Here's why I love the Scripture. I love the Old Testament. Because it all points to one place. Whether very, very clearly or maybe kind of hiddenly, it all points to one place. And you see, who is this, this Hebrew uh, Aaron, this high priest? What's his problem? You know what Aaron's problem is? He's a wretched sinner just like you and me. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Aaron was no good because he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin and then he could make atonement for all the people. And so, so the, the writer, New Testament writer says, you need a better high priest. You need someone that's better than Aaron because he's just broken like y'all. 
but we have a high priest who's better. See, Aaron couldn't really carry the nation on his shoulders. He couldn't really carry the nation on his heart because he was a wretched sinner. You needed one who wasn't. You needed a better high priest, one who offered himself and then sat down at the right hand of the Father because his work was finito, done, finished. And his name is who? Is Jesus Christ, and he is our great high priest. And isn't it interesting that the New Testament writers constantly talk about how he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, that the Holy Spirit anointed him, came down and fell, and he was led by the Spirit, and he was walking by the Spirit, and he was filled with the Spirit. And what does this high priest do to his church? He fills it and empowers it and anoints it and, and pours out his what? His Spirit, which is symbolic, oil symbolic, is symbolic of his Spirit, by the way. He pours it out in his church to make us one body, one people under him. And this high, it's all pointing. Where does unity come from? It comes from Christ and his work, who he is and what he has done. That is the only way. That is the only way there is true, true unity. It's not based on common externals, anything common interests, common feelings you have for one another, common geography, political parties, ethnicity. It comes when people's goal is to honor and exalt Christ for who he is and what he has done. And then and only then can be unity. And what we have to understand, church, is that you, you are closer to that guy in India who loves Jesus who you have never met than you are to the guy who lived with you at Georgia Southern in your frat house who doesn't know Christ. You have to understand that you are more one with that guy than you are with that boy. You gotta get that. Because you have the only thing that matters in common. Christ, Christ, that's where true unity comes. And it makes sense. What are these people going up to Jerusalem again to do? They're going to worship. There's one goal. If there's not a common goal to honor Christ for what he has done and who he is, then you cannot have unity. And this is why you can't have unity with the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know why? Because they don't believe who Jesus is. They don't believe he's God. They believe he's a God, but not the God. And this is why those who say, well, Jesus really didn't say that. And he doesn't mean this. And this is really not sin. This is kind of whatever. This is what Paul was saying. You can't have unity with them because they're taking away from the words of Christ. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And they obey. They listen to me. So there's only true unity on those who are under the banner of Christ for what he has done and what he says. And that is where it goes. And again, it makes sense. If there's not a common goal, there can't be unity. And even take it to the sports world. You got one person on the team that's all about the stats, not about the team. What happens? Brings the team down. Me and you headed to Atlanta, watch a baseball game. We can wear the same uniform, we can go to the same restaurant, we can sing the same songs in the car. We can't be unified because we want the exact opposite thing. You want your team to win, I want your stadium to explode with nobody in it. <laughs> we don't want a common goal. You can't. There can't be true unity. Somebody at the end of the day is going to be sad, somebody's going to be happy. Can't be true unity. Only when there's a common goal, the goal to exalt the risen Christ the goal to worship Christ. And what does this do to preferences in church? Think about it. If you come not to get, I want to didn't, didn't do this to me. No one said hi to me. Then, then no one called me on my birthday, right? We don't call birthday people, by the way. <laughs> Happy birthday in, in advance. That's for the year. Uh, but when, when you come for you, when you come for you, you're gonna be divisive because eventually I'll let you down and someone else will. If you come to exalt Christ, to love others, if you come to give, 
You want, you want Jesus' name to be exalted. You want to worship. What's that going to, oh, you know, I just want Christ to be exalted. Whether we do a hymn or a praise song, whether we do it with piano or drums, I don't care. I want Christ to be exalted. What's that going to do to personal preferences? Well, I don't like the color of, who cares? Probably be a different color in this church by next week anyway. Who cares? It's about him. What does that do to preferences? What does it do to minor theological differences? Minor, not major. Last week after I came to 815 service here, I ran over to my buddy's church in Richmond Hill. Their service is completely different than ours. It's longer than ours. They have three songs they sang. I never heard of them. Never heard of the songs, right? They passed an offering plate. My youngest child, never seen an offering plate before. He almost took 20 out. He's like, you're grabbing. I'm like, oh, no, no. (laughs) I'm like, we got to prepare our kids better when we go to other churches. (laughs) We don't pass up late, right? But you know what? We were able to go hang out. And that's a church, they they have a different view of baptism. You know, they have a different view of the future of, of national Israel. But I was able to go out with my buddy, the pastor after church. We ate Mexican for two hours and had a blast. Why? Because he's exalting Christ, we're exalting Christ. I was able to worship, celebrate at the table at their church. It was a great time, right? It was, it, because, you know, I'm going to let those little differences lie, lie for now, right? Because those things don't divide when Christ is exalted. And you could take that to all your relationships, in your marriages, your husband's a putz, I got it. Your, your wife does this, we get it. Your kids are this, or your parents, whatever it is. Are you there for you or are you there for, for, your, for, for Christ? Because that's the only thing that matters. It really does. And if you're, well, he didn't do this for me and, and, not, and, and your expectations are not what they were and we thought we were gonna be this and she doesn't look the way she did when she was 22. You know, look at yourself. When you're 70, you don't look like when you're 22. All right? If, if you're in it to honor Christ and to follow Christ and to love like Christ loves his church and, and to serve like Christ serves his church, you're going to let those things, that your disappointments and things, yes, because I'm, I'm, I'm about exalting Christ here. And if it's at the office and somebody is Mr. Critic to you or Mr. Steamroller to you or Mr. You know, Mr. Wet Blanket to you or Mr. Sponge, you know what? If you're in Christ, you're going to release them because that's what Christ did for you. And if you are that person, you're going to own it and repent of your sin because that's what Christ calls you to do. When, he, when, it, when the common goal is Christ, it puts all these things away, doesn't it? But when it's me, and it's often me, that, that's when there's this disunion. And look, I'm not saying that sometimes there, there's just, there cannot be unity. There's, sometimes it's impossible for there to be oneness. There just is. Not because of you, maybe because of them, but it should never be, CBC, because of us. This is what Paul tells us. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, depends on you, live peaceably with all. You do your part. You repent. You own it. You go to them. And if they will not, then, then you've done all you can do, then that's all you can do. But have we sometimes done all we can do? It's a question. God wants us to experience this goodness that he's created for us, this oneness. And look, I am so thankful we've been here seven years, and we've seen small attacks on our disunity and disunity in the church, and we've been able to kind of squelch them and deal with them, and God has guarded us from that because we have a great group of leaders and elders who, who are on the, on the ball there, and we're one, but we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard. God wants us to be one, not just one with us. There's other great churches in this town he wants us to be one with, to partner with, and we are with the kids doing one voice in a few weeks when they're gonna go and reach high schools. And so that needs to continue. 
we are not the only church in the universe. Other good churches preaching Christ and exalting his name. And there needs to be oneness. Because when we have that, there's a little taste of heaven. The big waffle cone coming one day. Now, he hinted at the end. He says, there the Lord has commanded a blessing, life forevermore. That's how he ends it. Life forevermore. Man, it's going to be good. We can have a little bit of it now. Good. And so we're going to celebrate again what oneness we have. We did it last week, but we're going to do it again. We're going to celebrate the table. And here's how we're going to do it. The men are going to hand out the elements. We'll just kind of reflect for a moment during the first song. Team, you guys can come on up. And at the end, I'll come back up and I'll lead us together as one body. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, whether you're a member here or not, you are one with us and we invite you to partake. We have that common, common savior. If you're not a Christian this morning, we'd ask you to abstain, not because we don't love you, but because this is a a meaningless uh, ceremony for you. Unless you have understood you are a sinner separated from God and that he died on a cross for your sins and rose again that you may be one with him. You don't have oneness with God, and so this is, not, this is not a meaningful celebration for you. But I will say this. If you are a Christian, and this, there's, there's this thing going on that, you know, you yelled at this person this morning, or you are the cause of division somewhere, I would also ask you this morning to abstain, because Paul says we should test, we should search our hearts. If there's any rebellious, disunifying way in us, which was the issue at Corinth, that we should abstain, go make it right, and then we'll celebrate it. And we're going to celebrate it again next week, just a heads up, so you have a week to go get it right until we come back again. So spend just this first song. You can sing, you can stay seated and sing, or you can just listen to the words, uh, but just reflecting until uh, we take this together. Let me pray. Lord, make us one as you are one, our Heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus, and the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Use us for your glory to make your name great as Jesus prayed, uh, that we would know, the world would know that you sent him, Father, because of our unity. It's in Christ's name I pray.